What an amazing line that is. Great is our God. Can you declare that this morning in your own life? Great is our God. The things that are going on in this world, great is our God. The things that are, are going on in our lives, in our marriages, in our children's lives, in our workplaces, great is our God. Amen? This morning I come with a heavy burden for what has been going on in this world. And as we turn on our televisions, as we log in, and we update our social media feeds, we see the world in a righteous pursuit of self. Man is, is his own God. Man declares what is right, what is true. The world is crying out, I want to lead, I want to rule. I want the say, but this is not for personal preference anymore. Now society must conform to the new culture norms. Not only what I think is right, but you need to think what I think is right as well. And if you don't, you might have to pay a tax. You might lose your life. You might be excommunicated because of what you believe. I'm reminded from, the, I'm reminded from God's word verses like this. Romans 3, 10 through 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks God and all have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Psalms 14, 1 through 3 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God, and they are corrupt. There is none who, who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God, after his heart. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. Could I be bold enough to say this morning that Christianity is the only acceptable religion where it is okay to discriminate against and even kill? People hate God. They hate his laws and they hate his people. These people who love him, and as society continues to move in this direction, Christians will find themselves in areas of faith where they do not know what to do. Last week was a rough week for me. As I would update my social feeds, as I said at the first, I would see brothers and sisters. I would see them fleeing from their homes and their family members killed for the name of Christ. Oh, how I prayed that God would rend the heavens and come forth and put an end to this. Angry at these situations and frustrated at my own abilities to act, I ran to the word of God. And I asked this question, what do you do, God? when we do not know what to do? What does God do when we have no answer? What does God do when we're frustrated with the situations? What does God do when we don't know what to do? My hope this morning is to bring some clarity on the actions of God when we do not know what to do. We're gonna begin our morning at the throne. Let us pray together. Father. We come to you knowing that you are good. Great is our God, and we declare that. There are men and women in this room here today, here this morning, that, de that declare that. They lift up the cross that you are good, knowing what we've been saved from. And God, as we open your word here this morning, we pray that you would move in our hearts and that you would call us to action. And when times are tough and things are rough and we don't understand 
Let us run to your word with an appetite only you could fill. God, you know where we're at this morning, and we pray that you would open our hearts and open our ears so that we would be more like you. Help us to grow closer in our walks. Let no one leave this room here today knowing that they, not knowing that they didn't meet with the real God, the true God, because you're here. Where two or more are gathered in your name, you're here in the midst, you're moving, calling, and growing. And we thank you for that. We love you. In the powerful name of Christ, we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to look at the life of one who loved God and spoke on his behalf. Many miraculous things were done by this great man of God. This man's name is Elijah, and his resume is quite extensive. Praying, this would include such acts as praying that the heavens would not allow rain to fall only by his word. Also, listening and, to, listening and following God's commands, which one of those commands was to drink from a brook and allow ravens to bring him meat and bread. He was a catalyst and a witness to a widow and her son who was poor, providing oil and flour in unexplainable measures. He was used to bring a young boy back from the dead when he prayed, and he faced 850 prophets on, Mar on Mount Carmel, where he called fire down from heaven, turning hearts back to the one true God. And I originally wanted to build this altar up here and set it on fire. <laughs> but I knew I couldn't do that. <laughs> so I was thinking and praying about this man named Elijah and what he did. And needless to say, this man was used by God when he prayed, things happened. Do you know anybody that's like that? When they pray, things happen? It seems like God moves when they pray. I have a few friends like that. I get close to them. When it seems like God's not answering my prayer. I say, you throw up one for me? <laughs> Maybe God will answer that one from you. This was this man. This was Elijah. So when he would go to the Lord, things would happen. Big things. Great things. But one day following this, some great acts that were done by him, actually when he was on the mountain calling down fire from heaven, after that, we find Elijah sitting under a broom tree. Here's a little context. He ran away because a woman named Jezebel wanted to take his life. So this great man of God, doing many miraculous things, known throughout the region as a man of God who was doing these great things, was threatened, and we find him sitting under a broom tree. Let us read together. I'm reading out of 1 Kings 19. We're going to camp out here for a little bit today. We're going to start in verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. We find this great man of God sitting under a broom tree. And how can this man, used so mightily by God, pray such a thing? How can he say it? How can he go to God and say, God, take my life? Elijah was shown, has shown himself to be a man of faith and, and courage who trusted God for miracles and above all moved to locations only in response to God's command, but when the word of God was silent, Elijah forgets to think theologically and gives up. 
Have you ever had that moment when you cried out, I've had enough? Think about your life. You're so tired, you're so spent, physically and emotionally drained from the situations that are going on in your life. You feel that the only way that relief could come would be from running away or going into your room and pulling the covers up and saying, I don't want to get up and deal with this situation. Have you ever felt like that? Yes. Yeah, because that's true. Sometimes under a broom tree is where we find ourselves, like this great man of God, Elijah. And I believe that this story is here to show us that there are days when we do not know what to do. Days in the Christian walk where we feel like we don't have the answer. We don't know what the next step is. Like Elijah, a great man of God who have done many things, there are people in this room who believe in the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, believe in the power of what he can do in a life when it's given over to him. And there are days when we face situations, there are days when we update our feeds, there are days when we look in this world and we say, what is going on? And we shake our heads and we feel helpless and we feel hopeless and we don't know what to do. And I believe that God put this story in there for people like us. God, what do you do when we do not know what to do? And by our text this morning, God does three things. He shows three things that God does in the moments when we don't know what to do. And we're going to travel together looking at the first one here this morning. When victory becomes defeat, what does God do? He ministers. He ministers to us. God attends to our needs often in practical ways that we never, ever notice. Back to our word, it says that as he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Man, how our God provides. And he ate and he drank. And he laid down again. He was tired, eh? He was tired. He gets up, he eats, and he lays down again. And what happens? Arise and eat. And he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went into the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb the mountain of God. See, God attended to the very real needs to Elijah in a very practical way. He fed him. Something simple. Something that we would often overlook in this life. See, God did not bring down fire from heaven. <laughs> he didn't lay out this great reasoning of why Elijah was there, like, let's pull up a seat, let's explain this. Let's go step by step why you're here. God didn't do that. He didn't remind him of his past. Like, do you remember, Elijah, when I was there, when you faced 850 people? That's God's voice. <laughs> 850 prophets, and I called down that. You, you came up that prayer, it came up before me, and I brought the... He didn't remind him of that. He didn't say I was there for you. He just gave him something practical that in most cases we would overlook. See, God ministers to Elijah in a very simple way, and this is how God works often 
in these little tiny ways that we would overlook God ministers to us. And when we do not know what to do, our God ministers. I want to tell you a quick little story. When I was in Bible college, I had, this, I had to take this course where you would drive to other churches and you would critique them. You would actually, from the time you drive into the church parking lot, you were taking a critique of the whole church, and then you write a paper and send it back to the pastor on how they screwed up. <laughs> it was a good course. I did not like this course because I love the body of the Lord. I love the church. I believe that Jesus died for the church, and this was a struggle for me to critique these things. And it was on Sunday mornings, and I was pastoring at a church, and I had to go to my board and ask, can I have a, the next six Sundays off to critique these churches? And they gave me this opportunity to do this. And then one day, it's a Saturday night, and my wife comes to me. She says, we don't have a lot of money this week. And I said, okay. She's like, like tomorrow's Monday, and it's the first of the month, and we have to pay our rent. I'm like, okay. And she's like, you have no gas to get to school. And I'm like, okay. What are we going to do? I need to go to school. So I send my professor an email, and where I lived, I had to travel 45 minutes this way to go to the school to get on a bus so they could drive right back through my city and go to another city. So I asked the pastor, or my professor, if he could just pick me up, that I would get a drive to the highway, and as he's driving by, he would slow down, and I would jump in, and we would go. And he told me no. He said, it's not my responsibility to work out the details in your life. He said, come to class. So I had to take the money out of our rent, which was coming out the next day, and go to school. And this caused a dysfunction in my relationship with my wife. Because <laughs> she is awesome at the finances, and I just spend the money. <laughs> so I get up, and you know, husbands, you know when you're having those moments and you know it's not right, that's all you're thinking about. Like, you're, you're thinking about your wife, you're thinking about these things, and I get up, and I'm driving, I get there, and I'm angry in my heart. <laughs> and I get in, and I sit up, and we get in the van, and we drive by St. John, <laughs> and we keep going. And that morning, we come into this church, and I did not critique it. I just put my books away, and I went in, and I just said, God, this, this is not good. And we would sit in chairs like this at the front with scorecards. And I put mine under my seat, and I stood up, and I just worshiped God with the, with the congregation. And I said, God, I don't know what's going to happen if we will have rent tomorrow, but I don't care. You're still God. And at the end of the service, this man came up and gave me a hug, and he slipped a $100 bill in my pocket. And it wasn't the fact that God provided money. It was the fact that God ministered and was there for me in the moment when I needed him. And it's the little things that God does that we often overlook. See, we want fire to come down from heaven. Isn't that our testimony? We want these great, amazing things so we can call up our neighbor and say, did you know what God did? He did this awesome thing in my life. So we want the fire. We want these great explanations. We want to have tea with God and be like, lay it out in three points or less, like my pastor. We want, to remind, we want to be reminded that God was there in the past so that we can muster up faith and courage now to trust for the present situation that we face. 
when we are hoping and wishing God is ministering in the littlest ways in our life. As I was putting this together and I was looking and I was, I was, I was praying, God reminded me of Jonah. Oh, Jonah. That's how I say his name. It's not Jonah, it's oh, Jonah. What are you doing? And in Jonah 4, 3, it says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? This is a good question. Do you do, be, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. These little things. A plant. Some food. How is God ministering in your life in this moment in the little things that you may be overlooking? What is God doing to help you understand that he is true? that he is with you, that he is a great God, that he is the God that we sing about, that we pray about, that we hope in. What is he doing? How is God ministering to you? Let us continue in our, our word this morning. Then he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What do you do, God, when we do not know what to do? The second thing we see here is God listens. When all we want is a, is a sign, he listens. God asked a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Asking him by name shows a relationship present, shows that God knows the real needs of Elijah. God used his name. Does God really need to ask a question? Does God know why he is there? Yes. Yes, he knows. But God asked a question so that he can listen to the response. Have you ever felt like no one's listening? If that's you, put your hand up. <laughs> Nobody's listening to me. <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands. Sometimes in life, my kids act that way. Daddy, 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 are you listening? Are you listening? Daddy, daddy, can I do this? Dad, dad. Oh, yes, I'm listening. And with my wife, it's different. No, I'm listening. No, I'm really listening. Like, I, I lean in. I understand your needs. Because I love you. God's listening. Sometimes in our life, when we feel like no one's listening, we struggle. Feel like we're talking to the wall. Then someone finally listens. They hear you. I mean, they really are interested in what's going on in your life. They are ready to listen. And what does Elijah do? Often something that we do. 
Elijah knows God is listening because he asked a question, and God has never asked, asked Elijah a question before. He's only given him commands. And Elijah just lets it out. The me-focused expression is what I call this. He declares, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your governments, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, oh, only I, even only I am left, and they seek to take my life. He's really saying, I have passion for you, God. I am jealous for the Lord. Look at my zeal. I have not forsaken your covenant. I have not killed your people. I am the only one left, and I'm going to be killed. This is what he's saying. Sometimes the outcry of our heart is we just got to let it go. Have you ever wrestled with God? I love that story where Jacob wrestled with God. I love that. It's like a UFC fight. It's like, I'm not letting you go. We're throwing down until I can get some answers. And I thought growing up that we couldn't do that. We couldn't wrestle with God, and we couldn't wrestle with these situations. But when we do not know what to do, God listens. And he listens very closely. He already knows what's going on in our life. He already has an answer. But we do have the opportunity to talk to him, to draw close to him. I love the disciples. And man, did they screw things up sometimes. Just like us. But when they ask God to teach them, when they ask Jesus to teach them to pray, that was amazing. Because I would ask, teach me how to walk on water. Like, I want to moonwalk over the waves. <laughs> like, I would ask that. Seriously, I'm just being honest here. Let's have a moment. I would ask, I want to walk on water. Or I want to raise all the dead people from the dead and just sit at the morgue and be like, you're alive, you're alive, you're alive. You're not coming back. <laughs> you were a mean man. But God is listening. See, an inward focus to our own situations rather than the supremacy of God and his plan and, our, and the plan in store for our lives. Sometimes when things are getting rough and things are so heavy, we turn it inward, the me expression, the me-focused life. God, do you know what I'm going through? Do you see how they're treating me? God, I love you. You're supposed to be my God and I'm supposed to be your kid. And you're supposed to rule and lead me. But I feel alone right now. I feel like you're not with me. The Bible declares that he will never leave us or forsake us. I love that verse. When I'm feeling alone, never leave us or forsake us. Sorry, Jordan, I can't sing, but I think of those things. That he will never leave me or forsake me. And when I'm at my worst, I think, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray because I know that you're listening. And when God is listening, what are you saying? Because when we don't know what to do, God listens. But do we trust in the power of God to be with us, to change us, to help us when we feel there's no place to go and when we don't have the answers and no one is listening? When hope becomes less and less and the trials of this world are stacking up against us, do we tell the God who is listening that we need him? Do we tell him that we trust him and that we cannot move or act without him? Do we say that?
because sometimes we don't. We just look at the inward focused mentality, forsaking that the great God of hosts, the creator of all, the creator of us, is ministering, is listening, and is in love with us and wants to be there with us. We cannot move or act without him. Back to our scripture this morning in verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it to pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. But after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Do we not look for great signs from God rather than the ability to commune with him? Is that true? Is that a true statement? We look for signs and wonders and forsake the moments where we can just come close to him. Do we not long for the great testimony of God showed up in an amazing way and solved all my problems and life was great and then I got this free air freshener. You should try God. He's awesome. Christians do that. We long for that. Strong wind. No God. Earthquake. No God. Fire. No God. This is what we want. We want signs. John 6.30, Jesus said these words. So he said to them, then what? So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What works do you perform? We're sign-based people. We want to see it. We want to touch it. We want to live it. We want a sign. But God says, I'm listening and I'm communing it. And I'm drawing close to you, and I know your situation. I know what you're going through. And think about that right now in your own life, what you're going through, things that are going on. Maybe it's good. Maybe you're just growing with God. You're communing with him. You know he's ministering. You're growing in sanctification, becoming like Jesus Christ himself. Praise God. Stay on that path. Grow. Get deep. Drink deep from this well. Some may not be there. Some may, ugh. I can't get past this. And you know what the this is. I can't get past it. After the fire sounds, a low whisper, verse 12. Beloved, don't forget the greatest moments are not signs and wonders, but the moments that we can commune with God, where we can get before him the pain, the situation, the frustration. God is listening and when we do not know what to do, he is there for us. This is something that you write down and you take home. Because trials do not end for those who love Jesus until Jesus comes and gets us. These things will continue in our lives. This world will be rough. This world will be hard. God is ministering. God is listening. Verse 15. 
And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, who shall anoint the king over Israel, and Elisha, who shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I, sh I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The third thing we see in the scripture here today is what do you do? What do you go do, God, when we do not know what to do? Well, when we want to play God, He is God. He is God. Oh, how the times we fight for control. We want to be in authority, but not under authority. And, we try, and when we try to take authority and we mess it up, we're stuck. And God himself, God is, God is himself, and God works his plan. In verse 15 and verse 18, we see two things. God works his plan in verse 15. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He has a plan in which we do not know. Even Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of the heaven nor the, nor the son, but the father alone. There are things in this world that we don't own, that we do not understand. God has a plan, and he works that plan. He puts that plan in motion. We see it right here. He says, okay, we're gonna do something about this. You came to me, you're frustrated, you do not know what to do. You, you're allowing me to take ownership of the situation and I have a plan so go do this so he sends Elijah on a mission because God is working his plan sometimes in our life we don't understand the plan have you ever been frustrated with the plan I don't know the plan I want the plan I need the plan I want to sit in front of the blueprints I want to know I want to put a hard hat on and be a part of this plan of what God's taking me on. There have been some real forks in the road in my life where I'm just like, hmm, a little clarity would be great. Wish I had one of these over, overhead screens that I could stand in front and God would just play out the next 12 hours or the next two weeks or the next month so that I could just watch and then I'll correct all the mistakes I'm going to make knowing that you're laying this out. We want the plan, but we don't get the plan, do we? We get the honor to trust God. God works his plan, and God rules his people. When hope is lost and times are tough, our God is still in control. He is God. He is ruling, and he is reigning, and when we do not know what to do, we trust God to be God. And we today can do this because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that those who trust in him have a sovereign king. We have a sovereign king who intercedes for us. He stands on our behalf before his Father. That we could trust in him today. When we do not know what to do, God ministers, he listens, and he is himself. Because he is God, and we are not. And that's something we need to understand. This morning, I want to play a video for you. 
working with our brother up here. The we're Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. our king, the sovereign king. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. He is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. And that is the number one reason that we, when we are faced with the trials and the circumstances of this life, that we need to run to the king. We need to run to the king. Because man declares that they are king, but we serve a true king. And his name is Jesus Christ. And when times get tough, 
and they will. Look for the ways God is ministering to you. Remember he is listening and declare that he is God in your life and over the situations and in our culture. Because in your life and in this world, things are coming. It's time for the church to arise, amen? We don't come in here each week just to say hi, even though that is a great part of it. We come in here to love a true God that's loving us. We come in here to celebrate, and we come in here to bring our burdens before the throne. And we come in here to encourage each other and to sharpen each other and to not let a brother or sister down when they are struggling. That is the church, and it's time for the church to be the church. It's time for us to help each other and show the world that there is a true king that died on our behalf, and there is no buts about it. We live for him. He is our king. Brothers and sisters going to their death because they are declaring he is their king. It's time for us to be all in. An all in declaration. And it's time for the church to arise in love and grace and to throw up the banner Jesus is alive. He reigns in my heart. Come to my community and see him for what he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can come before your throne and declare you are the true and sovereign king. Thank you that you look to us even though we disappoint you, that we walk away, that we turn our back on you. God, you know the situations in this room. You know the burdens that are, are being displayed and worked through each day. And God, I pray that this morning that we would not leave here hanging on to them, but you're a God who listens and ministers. You're a God who's, a, who's God in the worst times and in the good times. And you're a God that says, come to me with these burdens. For my yoke is easy. So God, I pray for those who are here this morning who are growing in you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that they would be a light in this church, in their workplaces, in this community that declares Jesus is king. And for those who are struggling right now, there is grace and there is love at the foot of the cross that you pour out. Thank you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to close with just a part of a psalm. It says, let not those we hope in, let not those who hope in you be put to shame through us. O Lord, God of hosts, let, no one, let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have been born reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's son, for zeal for your house has consumed me. Let it be said of us today that we have been consumed with the zeal of his, for his kingdom, and let no one be put to shame because of our love of Christ. God, thank you for this day. We love you. We go with you. We pray that you would lead this church in spirit and in truth. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Have a blessed day.